You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Facebook finds that fewer users than feared were affected by its breach, but that in this case fewer still means a lot. Do privacy advocates have an image problem? The supply chain seeding attack story draws more skeptical comment. A pipeline accident turns out not to have been a cyber attack. Estonia joins the UK and the Netherlands in an effort to clarify EU cyber sanctions. But Italy pumps the brakes. Do Putin's angels rejoice? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, October 15th, 2018. Today's news is highlighted by some follow-up stories that have been developing over the past few weeks. Late Friday, Facebook released more information on the cyber attack that led it to log some 90 million users out at the end of September. In brief, it seems that fewer users were affected than feared, but that the information exposed was more sensitive than hoped. Approximately 30 million people were affected. Here's roughly how they broke down. 1 million lost nothing. 15 million lost name and contact details. 14 million lost name, contact information, and other data they had in their profiles. Such other information included username, gender, locale, or language, relationship status, religion, hometown, date of birth, education, and work. Various aspects of their online activity were also revealed, the last 10 places they checked into or were tagged in, website, people or pages they follow, and the 15 most recent searches. That's according to Facebook's update. Facebook points out that people's accounts have been secured since the social network reset access tokens about two weeks ago. The incident has pushed opinion in the U.S. a bit in the direction, working to develop a set of national data protection regulations along the lines of Europe's GDPR although there's skepticism among observers about how easy it would be for legislators to get the complex issues right. In the meantime, everyone, but especially the 30 million affected Facebook users, should be alert to the possibility of more plausible social engineering. For all that, a survey shows that online privacy advocates suffer from an image problem. Research sponsored by security software firm Hide My Ass and conducted in concern with census-wide, surveyed over 8,000 people in France, Germany, the UK, and the US. Their conclusion is that people, quote, perceive privacy advocates as untrustworthy, paranoid, male loners with something to hide, end quote, as if they're outlaw preppers trying to get off the grid. It's worth thinking about, and leave aside your reasonable suspicion that a company's calling itself Hide My Ass, exclamation point, may not be doing its customers' image any favors. There are plenty of reasons to value data privacy, even if in fact you really don't have anything in particular to hide. 
You don't have to be the dread pirate Roberts to see, to take an obvious example, a social engineer who knew personal facts like your age, work history, religion, and hometown would be able to craft more convincing spearfishing messages. And, in fact, about 14 million Facebook users now have that to worry about, and surely no more than, say, 5 million of them are probably untrustworthy paranoid male loners with something to hide. Right? Bloomberg's story of a Chinese seeding attack on the IT supply chain remains controversial, but at this point reactions are trending strongly towards skepticism. Bloomberg has been standing by its story, but one of those they interviewed in their follow-up piece, Sepio's Yossi Applebaum, told Serve the Home that he's disappointed his words were used to reinforce Bloomberg's claims that Supermicro was compromised. He says, quote, I think they are innocent, end quote. He adds, instead, it's a general problem, and not even necessarily a manufacturing one. Attacks can occur anywhere in the supply chain. It seems likely that the reporting will continue to unravel. Supply chain vulnerabilities and attacks on them are a real concern, but this particular story is not holding up well. The September 13th lethal explosion involving the Columbia Gas Low-Pressure Natural Gas Distribution System in Massachusetts was greeted with much speculation that the tragedy was caused by a cyber attack. But a preliminary report by the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board concludes that it was indeed an accident. It occurred while an old section of cast-iron low-pressure pipe was being replaced. The sensing lines, still functioning in the section of pipe that was being abandoned, interpreted the disconnection as a loss of pressure and reported this to the regulator devices, which increased the pressure in the system beyond safe limits. As Control Global's unfettered blog notes, not only was this not an attack, it wasn't even a network monitoring problem, but rather an engineering and people problem. It's worth remembering as we consider the pipeline explosion and the supply chain seeding attack stories that caution in explanation and attribution are always important and that bad things happen through accident, oversight, inattention, and negligence as well as through malign intent. Estonia joined the Netherlands and UK's push to clarify sanctions for cyber attacks. Italy pushed back following its recent tendency to seek relaxation of tensions, particularly with Russia as opposed to pursuing confrontation or sharper deterrence. Italy is likely to be an outlier here. There's widespread concern about Russian cyber operations in Europe and growing concern about the possibility of hybrid operations as well. Foreign Affairs notes the very odd presence of a paramilitary biker gang, the Night Wolves, that's established itself in Eastern and Central Europe. The Night Wolves seem to be, or are feared to be, more akin to the Green Men of Crimea, paramilitaries in eastern Ukraine, or the PMC Wagner mercenaries in Syria. That is, they look like deniable proxies. The Slavic daily Pravda has been reporting since July on how the gang established a headquarters in a Slavic village, even borrowing surplus combat vehicles under the pretense of establishing a military museum. Those vehicles have since been repossessed, but as we say, it's a very odd story. The Night Wolves are also known informally as Putin's Angels, and whatever they're up to, they bear watching. This motorcycle club is not your father's crew of one-percenters, well known on the North American highways for weekend runs, opposition to helmet laws, and north of the 49th parallel, some cigarette trafficking in high tobacco tax Canada. 
Expect various information operations to emerge, positioning the Nightwolves as patriotic hobbyists, just the way the GRU officers accused of nerve agent attacks in the UK and hacking in the Netherlands were tourists and tulip enthusiasts. That's continued to be Moscow's story, and they're sticking to it. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, it's good to have you back. Um, we've got an interesting topic to discuss today. This is We're going to talk about exponential growth and how it applies to cybersecurity. And along the way, you've got some uh, some book recommendations. But what are we talking about here today? Yeah, uh, thanks, Dave, for having me back. Uh, I picked up a couple of books this year, and I've been fascinated by the idea about it. And the two books are called Abundance. First one's Abundance, and it's by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler, published back in 2012 and recommended by Bill Gates. And the second one is called Exponential Organizations by Salim Ismail, Mike Malone, and Yuri Ben-Geist. That was published back in 2014. Now, in both books, the authors discuss these things called exponential technologies, and this is how they define them. Tools or systems where the power and or speed doubles each year and or the cost drops by half each year. Now, abundance is this radical idea that exponential technologies, okay, these ones defined by that uh, definition, I guess. Okay, these are the ones that double each year and the cost goes down each year. will flip our common notion about scarcity. In the abundant future described in these two books, the cost of solar power, uh, for example, and the exponential technologies that drive it might become so cheap and so powerful that energy becomes essentially free for every person on the planet. Mm. Okay, that seems really hard to believe when you say it out loud like that. But in both books, <laughs> yes, it does. The author's track. The- <laughs> yes, it does. So I know. So stay with me. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, all right. The authors in both books. All right. They track the cost and power of those exponential technologies, not just the energy uh, community, but in all the exponential technologies they're looking at over the last 25 years. And the cost is indeed exponentially going down or the computing power is exponentially growing. The authors did not list cybersecurity as one of their things, but I believe that cybersecurity is right at the beginning of exponentiation and nobody has noticed it yet. So let me show you what I mean. Okay. Okay, Diamini's and Ismail 
uh, talk about these things called the six D's of exponentiation. The first one is called digitization. Okay, and that means once a technology becomes digitized, it is easy to access, share, and distribute. Like solar power went digital about 25 years ago. Okay, this means that all the data collected from solar panels and all the devices it takes to manage them have been put online. Before the technology went digital, maintenance and repairs were all manual. But with the data online, solar farms can now remotely monitor and maintain their systems. And some are even using machine learning algorithms to anticipate problems automatically. Hmm. So in the early days of the cybersecurity space, vendors sold network defenders hardware appliances to perform one or more blocking functions down the intrusion kill chain. Today, uh, many vendors have already started to collect their customer data and process it in the cloud. So that's the change. They are starting to transform themselves from hardware manufacturers into software as a service companies where they deliver security service from the cloud. This is digitization. The next one's deception. So after digitization, growth is deceptively small until the numbers break the whole number barrier. So if the speed of your exponential technology grows from like 0.34 to 0.68, nobody will notice that. But once it grows to like 1.088 or something like that, that's crossing the whole number barrier. And when it doubles 10 times more, it starts to become a very big number. The point to note is that the growth is not linear. It is exponential. And this is exactly what's happening to solar energy and the exponential technologies that drive it. Uh, and it is the phase that the cybersecurity industry is in right now. We're in the deception phase. Hmm. All right. So the, the third D is disruption. So this is after the whole number barrier is broken. The existing market is disrupted by the new market's effectiveness and cost. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The next D is demonetization. Okay, Exponential technologies increasingly become cheaper. In 1998, residential solar power installation cost was about $12 per watt. 17 years later, the cost has been reduced by two-thirds. In the cybersecurity space, once vendors can deliver point product solutions as SaaS services from the cloud, the cost of hardware, maintenance, and training for each product practically goes to zero. All the security apps run over existing infrastructure. Yes, you pay for maintenance and training of the initial infrastructure, but you don't have to pay for it for each point product deployed. So the price of everything starts to get reduced, which leads us to the next phase, dematerialization. Physical products get removed. In energy, more people move to solar power Oil company refineries will start to vanish. The reliance on utility companies to distribute power start to disappear, too, replaced by the individual homeowner's ability to generate and store their own power. In the cybersecurity space, hardware point products uh, start to disappear. All right, and so that's the first five. And the last one is the one that's kind of, you know, pie in the sky. It's called democratization. And once the first five Ds happen, the technology pr price becomes so cheap that anybody can have it. Solar power and the technology that supports it becomes essentially free. All right, so Diomedes and Ismail predict that this could happen in the next 10 years in the energy sector. The trick for the energy sector then is how does your business receive revenue from a formerly scarce resource when it flips to being abundant everywhere? In the cybersecurity space, open source, cloud-delivered uh, security applications will emerge in much the same way as point product open source projects happen today, tools like Bro Intrusion Detection Systems and Nmap and, and, and Metasploit, just to name three. The tools will become free, the data will become what is valuable, and everything will run on, on the underlying platform. So those are the six Ds. How does that 
sound. Does that make sense to anybody? It's a lot to take in, but I, I certainly think, I mean, the, the, the thing in solar is interesting. I also think about things like the music industry where, you know, the scarcity of having to, uh, to go to the record store to buy your favorite album for, you know, an $18 CD. And now you have all the world's music available to you, you know, for 10 bucks a month on your mobile device. So certainly we've seen these, this sort of, uh, disruption before as, as data becomes available and, and like, to your point, essentially free. Diamendes and Ismail make a strong case that exponential technologies will help some of the, uh, solve some of the world's grandest challenges. But, you know, they didn't include cybersecurity in their set, but it's clear to me that cybersecurity is just beginning down the six Ds of exponentiation, right? And like Diamendes and Ismail's grand challenges, I expect cybersecurity to move through these six Ds fairly quickly, most likely in the same time frame as solar power, most likely in the next 10 years. The future is exciting. Yeah, well, it certainly is. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Rick, as we both know, everything on the Internet is forever. So I'm looking forward to 10 years from now. <laughs> uh, one of our listeners reaching out and sending an email to you and me with a recording of this and giving us a score on, on how it turned out. But uh, it's certainly going to be uh, interesting to watch, right? Interesting times that's, as always. <laughs> that's great. It's always great to be a futurist predictor because, you know, it doesn't matter. You can, you can make up anything you want because no one will remember it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, as always. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey 
That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 